sober, and having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this morning. God, I pray this morning that you would just speak to us. God, bury me under your spirit, God, that you would be heard. God, that you would speak to us this moment. God, that you didn't just get us out of bed and bring us to this building for no reason. God, but we would be open to what you have to say. That we would walk out the door different than when we walked in. In your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to start in verse 1. Now as the times and epochs, epochs is pretty much times and seasons, you have no need of anything to be written to you. So Paul is already saying, okay, this is, you have already kind of been taught pretty well in this idea of the day of, when the day of the Lord will come, this time and this epics. You don't need, it's a pretty young church, but Paul has poured a lot into them. He said, verse 2, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. So this idea of the day of the Lord, obviously every day is the Lord's day, right? Every day belongs to God. There's no day that he doesn't rule. There's no day he's not on the throne. But Paul is talking about a particular day, a peculiar day that belongs to God, right? It's the day that he'll finally bring his judgment upon this place. It'll be the day that we are finally delivered from our enemies. It will be the day we finally are rid of these earthly bodies that seem to get us into so much trouble. We'll finally be rid of the pains that we prayed for this morning. We'll finally be rid of those things on this day, on the day of the Lord. That's what he's saying. It's a particular day. It's not some ethereal thing that's way out there that you think, oh, yeah, every day is God's day. No, there is a day when, when God will send Jesus to step out of heaven. And there will be no more talking no more arguing. This day is coming. And that's what Paul is saying. You yourselves know that the day of the Lord is coming. It's a particular day. And this is the day Christ will return. So he keeps going. So he says, just like a thief in the night. And verse 3 says, while they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like birth pangs upon a woman with child. And they shall not escape. So, obviously, at this point, they're under the Roman Empire. And so there's this idea of the Pax Romana. This is historical as you're ever going to see me get, okay? Those are two words you'll never hear me say again, most likely. is the Pax Romana. But it's uh, this idea of peace and safety. So it's kind of this slogan of the Roman Empire. I kind of think of America this way. You know, we have this idea that we're, like, untouchable, right? We're like, ah, we're peace and safety in America. Nothing ever happens here. And that's what this, this kind of saying is, is as long as you're under Roman rule, it's peace and safety. You know, they're kind of, it's this slogan that they're bragging about what they're under. This Pax Romana kind of went on for a couple hundred years under the Roman Empire, right? And so that's, it's, it's, they're kind of setting themselves up. So right in the middle of this, he says, destruction will come, Right? Destruction will come like a thief in the night. It's very, I love Paul here because it's very simple. Most of the time, especially when you, when you think of thieves, especially coming to your home, nighttime is the best time, right? Come under night, come under darkness where no one can see you. And so that's this idea of coming to the thief in the night. And most of the time at night, 
we are sleeping, right? We're unprepared. You know, hopefully we're resting and sleeping. So that's when the thief comes, unexpectedly. And he comes, goes on and he says this. He says, like birth pangs upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Now, I am not going to say that I know anything about the feeling of childbirth, okay? I've seen it done four times, okay? But it's this idea that, especially back then, a lot of times, even more than now, I'm sure, anxiety is a big deal. But back then, I mean, many women died during childbirth. So there was always this great anxiety leading up, right, to having a baby, even more maybe than now. Um, and so you have this idea that you know it's coming, right? I mean, right? When you were pregnant, you know it's coming. And fathers, if you have a pregnant wife, you need to get prepared because that day is coming, when that baby's coming. But you don't know when it's going to come upon you, right? You don't know when the birth pangs come. So our first, our first child, Tucker, came six weeks early. And as a very stupid man, I was surprised, you know? But it was this idea that all of a sudden Whitney calls me, and she's like, I'm going to the hospital. I was like, I hope you're just hanging out there. And no, she's like, no, I, the doctor said, I've got to go to the, go to, I'm like, we got six weeks out, right? We've got all of these things, and all of a sudden, labor pains start coming upon her. I've got nothing done, right? The nursery's like, nothing's put together. There's maybe a wall painted. And I don't know if you've tried to put up crown molding by yourself while your child is in the hospital. It's very difficult. You have to have like eight arms, and you're shoving things, and you're moving them around, right? And so Tucker was, came six weeks early. He was in the hospital for three of those first six weeks. And so let me tell you, it was a surprise. But to Whitney, the birth pains, they knew they were coming, didn't know when they were coming, and they were inescapable, right? If you have had a child, regardless of the whole needle in the back thing, period, you're not going to escape the pains of childbirth. Can I get an amen from someone out there? You are not going to escape. And that's the point. You are not going to escape from this. And this is, the, this is the sad part, and really this is the push for us as Christians, is that day will come for us, but they, they will come for those who don't know Jesus as well. And it will come like a thief in the night, and destruction will come upon them instantly, and there will be no escape. There will be no second chances. No, oh, let me... Oh, let me, let me, oh, just, if I just had another, it's not, it's not going to happen. It's inescapable, and it's certain, and Jesus promises that. While they're saying peace and safety, destruction will come upon them. So I just encourage you, as we kind of push through this, and as we kind of get to more the practical side of things, that this is what our evangelistic heart should be pushing towards. And as we, as we continue to look here, we'll realize we'll get to us, and as Christians, we shouldn't be surprised. But our lives should reflect the life of Christ so that those who don't know will know. So let's keep going. And we're going to get to verse 4 here. It says, But you, brethren, are not of the dark in darkness, that the day should overtake you like a thief in the night. Again, Paul makes it real easy here. He's going to compare the darkness to the light. Okay? He says, for you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of night nor of darkness. I don't know if any of you guys have ever truly been in darkness. So when I was a little kid, we went to a, into a cave. Like, it was like a tour. We didn't just, like, 
drop into some random cave, I would go against doing that. Uh, but we went into this cave way back in. You kind of walk this huge path, and it takes you back in there. And they, it comes to this kind of this big open area in this cave, and they have like bleachers sitting out there. And so I remember as a kid, we we go and we sit on these bleachers, and the the tour guy is kind of talking about the cave, and then he gets into this talk about darkness. And he said, most of you have never truly seen darkness. And he was like, most of the time, in anywhere, even at your house or whatever, at, over time, your eyes will start to take on whatever light is in the room. Like, it will, it will use it. Like, God's designed this eye in a way that the smallest light over time all of a sudden becomes pretty bright, right? And so, we're sitting in these bleachers, and all of a sudden, the guy just kills the lights in the cave. Drops the lights all together. And all of a sudden, you talk about darkness, you can't see your hand literally in front of your face. I mean, you could do this all day and there's nothing there because there is no light to pull from. And I think it's a great analogy because all of a sudden, the, the tour guide lights a match. And all of a sudden, it's like somebody turned on the light, like somebody turned on the sun. It's all of a sudden this ridiculously bright object. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. He's, he's about to make the easiest comparison to us. That if we live in the light, we will look like that match. Because you live in a world that is dark, that is black. Those who don't know Jesus live in that darkness. And he said, but we, we are not sons of the darkness. We who know Jesus are the reflection of Jesus. We're the reflection of Christ. Therefore, our light should be bright. It should be different. It should be amazingly clear that we are not of this world. And he keeps going. If we didn't get that one, he's going to give us another one. He says, verse 6, So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober. So again, he talks about the darkness and the light. He's about to make another comparison. For those of us that are very dense, me, myself included, I need another comparison. And he's going to talk about those who sleep and those who are awake. All right? And so I don't—Joe has talked about a little bit this um, Kanye West kind of outcoming, and I don't know if— you, some of you decided to come here and didn't get your ticket to Lakewood this morning, I guess. I don't know if you wanted to spend whatever the ticket price was, but uh, it could have been a lot. But this idea of Kanye, and Kanye, it's interesting because I am not like a, I don't have any social media, so I don't really see anything unless somebody tells me most of the time. But he's, I saw this particular video, and, I, and he said something, and I was just like, that, that is amazingly clear. Like, it's an amazing thing that he says. And he's talking to one of these late night guys. I don't know if you've seen the video, but he's in an airplane and he's kind of having this interview. And essentially, uh, he gets posted this question like, what do you say to the people that don't believe that you can live this way and all of a sudden you're living this way? Like just out of nowhere, you can live this way. And Kanye says this, which is pretty awesome. He say, I'd say when you go to sleep, would you agree you are asleep? when you're asleep and when you wake up would you agree that you're awake when you're awake would you agree that those are two different states people who don't believe are walking dead they are asleep and for him this is the awakening 
Very simple. It's an amazingly clear statement, right? If you're asleep, you're asleep, right? And most of the time, you can tell the difference between a sleep person and a wake person, unless somebody's trying to act like they're asleep because they don't want to talk to you. <laughs> it hasn't happened to me, but I'm sure some people it's happened to. <laughs> I'm usually the one acting like they're asleep. But they are two very, it's an amazingly simple thing he states, right? Sure. When you're asleep, you're asleep. When you're awake, you're awake. And that's what he's saying. Those who don't know Jesus are asleep. They do their sleeping at night. And he goes on to even say, they are drunk and they get drunk at night. And really, this is, this is less about this idea of alcohol, but more about this idea of of kind of self-control, right? Living under self-control and being able to live in that state. And as a follower of Christ, we are measured by a different scale. Therefore, we are allowed to live in freedom. We live in that freedom. But those who are asleep, they have no choice. Most of the time, people who are asleep don't even know what they're doing. I was a huge sleepwalker as a kid, like really bad. Like even to the point, the last time I ever did it, I was actually taking some students on a trip. And we were in a hotel room, me and two, got two leaders and then two students, and they said I woke up in the middle of the night and beat the tar of the air conditioner. I don't remember it. I was like 21 years old. And so what you do sometimes in your sleep, you don't even know it. Man, but we're, when we're awake, our eyes are open to what is right and what is wrong. We have that. We have the Word of God to tell us. And that's what was great. As we move on, he's going to get into that practical sense. So he's going to put it out there. Nobody knows the day when Jesus is coming, but he's coming. It's going to come quick. It's going to come sudden. But if you're a believer of Jesus, you're not surprised. We should live in the light of the knowledge of the return of Christ. So Jesus came as a baby from heaven, right? Dropped out of heaven came from a virgin, died for us on a cross that we should have been on, and rose again three days later to prove what he did was true. And one day, he's coming back for his bride. And that's what he's saying. As Christians, we should live in that light. But do we live in that light most of the time? Or do we look very similar to the darkness? Do we live very similar to those who are in self-control? I like when Joe was talking about this idea of grieving we should grieve it's okay to grieve as believers but we grieve differently we grieve in the light that jesus is coming we grieve in the light that one day we will go to meet him and he says this he says verse eight but since we are of the day let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. So Paul goes back to these three things, faith, hope, and love. They're a continual theme. And he also brings in, I, like, I love this theme, he brings in this theme of battle, which he does often. In Ephesians, he brings on, you know, the, the armor of God. And he does the same thing here. It's always Paul preparing us. A lot of times we get caught in this world, we don't see the world that we're supposed to be fighting. Why? Because it's not of flesh and blood it's of rulers of darkness and that's the fight so we sometimes we forget to put that stuff on in the morning right because all we're caring about is making oatmeal and finding matching pairs of shoes for our children 
that sometimes we forget the real battle that's out there. And that's what he's saying. Remember the real battle. I like this. A pastor once kind of once said this, and it kind of puts these three things kind of stacked on top of each other. He said, when faith is weak, love grows cold. When love grows cold, hope is lost. When hope in God's promise of future glory is weak, believers are vulnerable to temptation and sin. When we don't live and we don't prepare for battle, man, we are opening ourselves up to the darkness. The darkness begins to overtake us. Why? Because we're not prepared. We begin to live comfortably in this world, forgetting who our enemy is. So faith, hope, and love. So all of a sudden, he's going to get into verse... uh, I'm going to go ahead and read through verse 11. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, if anybody had questions, if Christians are who he was talking about, he breaks it down. He said, Who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another. So again, he, he pretty much states, nobody knows when Jesus is coming. And I really think if somebody actually gets lucky and picks the day, God changes it. And so, let's just not look for it. Let's instead live in the light of the knowledge of him coming. And prepare ourselves for that day and live on alert. Not in fear, but live to be ready and live on alert and what's really great, before he kind of knocks into this, uh, this kind of very practical sense, this is what kind of love about Joe. He kind of puts the truth out there, and then he puts it in a way that you can walk out the door with it, right? You've heard preachers that say some really nice things, but all of a sudden you take nothing out there because you're not really sure what he said. And the Bible is not that way. The Bible is, has some amazingly practical things, if we're willing to take those. And I think the greatest thing he does here in verse 11, which he also did at the end of chapter 4, he said, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another just as you also are doing. Man, so what Paul's saying is this is our duty, right? This is on us as believers. And he kind of ties this to this idea of the local church. That's what he's saying. He's all of a sudden saying, oh, no, let, let me take that. You are your brother's keeper. You are that. We are each other's keepers, and that's what he's saying is encourage one another. Again, he said it in chapter 18 of verse 4. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. You guys, we are called to do this. Remind each other of this hope and to live on alert. To live in the light of this knowledge of the judgment. It ties it all to the local church right before he breaks it down. So remember, if you are here, you have a duty. You have a calling upon your life. Whether you believe God has made your particular calling clear, Paul tells us what it is. And sometimes we want to look for something beyond that. And what he's saying is live like this. So let's keep going. We're going to get into now verse 12. He says, But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. So I like this. So Paul kind of breaks it down into kind of three relationships. So again, he's saying prepare for this day, and this is how you should do that. 
this is how you should live. This is what your life should look like if you're living in the light of the knowledge of Jesus Christ coming back. So the first thing is how we relate to our leaders, right? That's kind of the first thing he kind of lays out is how we relate to our leaders. He then talks about how we relate to each other, how we relate to each other, and then finally how we relate to God himself. So Paul kind of breaks it down into those things. So again, when we, when we talk as humans, how we live our lives, it's relationships, right? We live relationally, unless you're one of those weird people out in Alaska that live by themselves. And then it seems like you're always hoping somebody comes and visits you, right? So we live in relationship. We are close. Now, whether we're good at that is another option, <laughs> another story altogether. But what Paul is saying is this is, this, he's going to lay it out for us. In verse 12 and 13, he starts with our leaders. Now, I'm not going to brag, but you guys have an amazing pastor. Come on. I would not, I will tell you right now, my goal as a, as a, as a young minister was to be able to work underneath an authority that I truly believed, loved Jesus, and loved the people of the church. And that's what Joe does. That's what Joe and Jimmy and a lot of your other leadership that has been around a long time have done for all of these years. And what Paul is saying is here is appreciate those people. I know some of you have probably seen the back ends of a church and behind the curtains. It's a lot of work. And there's a lot more that goes into it than you might think. I know the joke is usually, oh, I just work Sundays and Wednesdays. And, and that's usually the easy days. And that's what he's saying is to, to give, give your leadership some thanks and to be able to live under that authority. And pastors are, are we're taught not to lord that authority, but there is a particular structure that Paul is talking about as a church. And so I just encourage you guys that you, that you look at your leaders and you thank them, whether it's your pastors, your, your ministry leaders, those that you've kind of put over your life to be able to speak into it, that if you've kind of given your spiritual authority to. Is this is, it's a pretty important relationship that he's talking about. Why? Because when we put this in front of us, again, we're a lot less likely to give in to temptation and to sin when we put these relationships at the forefront of our lives. And so again, he starts with our leaders. Very, very simple. And, and sometimes with our leadership, you know, I know as, if you've, again, if you're parents, sometimes your kids, right, you, you'll come home and you'll make a nice meal and like nobody wants to eat it. That's hard. Or when you plan this really cool trip and you guys are out in it and it's midday and you're just doing the fun things and one of them looks at you and you go, hey, what are we doing next? What are we doing tomorrow? And you're like, what? We're handing out spankings when we get home. That's all I know. <laughs> but sometimes, right, that's how we as church members can act and be. It's, it's kind of always more and this and that. And, and I just encourage you, as one who is sat on both sides of the pulpit, right? The stage, both sides. Is that man, show grace. Don't be blind. That's not what he's saying. But be grateful. Show grace. You'll be able to live in peace with one another. 
So he goes on, verses 14 and 15, and he talks about how we relate to each other. How we relate to each other. So he says, And we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all men. So first thing he says is admonish the unruly. Ad admonish essentially just means rebuke, call out the unruly. To encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all men. And I know automatically there are, thing, there are people that we are thinking of right now for each one of those things. But what Paul is saying is there is a moment within your church life that you are every one of those people. We are all carrying those things. At times, we are the unruly one. At times, we are the faint-hearted. At times, we are the weak. At times, we are the person that somebody needs to show patience towards. And that's what he's saying. This is a family. This is the relationship of the local church. It's how we treat each other. And the unruly one is very interesting because a lot of times, we have not given each other permission to be able to do this. I know even in the men's group, we talked a lot about, especially men, right? Nobody wants to give another man permission to just call him out on something. But that's what he's saying we should do, is we need to give each other permission that when we are not towing the line, that we're willing to have that conversation. And again, it goes back to, again, if we want to live in the light of Jesus Christ coming back, Paul is saying, this is, this is how we do that. This is how we live in that light. The unruly, the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all men. See that no one repays e another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all men. What's, 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 to me, what is one of the most important things about this particular relationship with each other is this is how, even the Bible says, the world we will know we are Christians. is by how we love and how we treat each other. Right? You guys remember that song we, we talked about in the men's group too? They will know we are Christians by our love. I'm fairly certain if you're not over the age of 40 or 50 or 80, you probably won't know that song. Right? Come on. So I had very old school parents. But that's exactly what he's saying, that these, this idea, this relationship is how the world will know. You know, we make this idea of evangelism to be difficult. And what he's saying, the beginning of that is just, man, love each other. Treat each other good. Long before you can reach out there and do anything different, it's got to start here. And I know over time, over years, the local church has probably damaged or harmed all of us at times. Unfortunately, this is the way God has called us to live. This is the plan that God has put in place. There's no other plan, guys. The local church is what God is saying, this is what I'm going to use to change the world. There's nothing apart from this. There's no Christianity that's taught in the Bible that's apart from the local church. So he talks about these relationships live this way. And he says, seek after that which is good for one another. Start with one another and then for all men. He moves out from that. It moves out from here. 
And then he goes on. And then he says how we relate to God. And all of a sudden, it gets very difficult, right? When you read these, you're like, oh, that's not real. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from every form of evil. Right? That's very simple. Rejoice always. How many people can do that? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. When I first read that, I'm like, that's impossible. And then when I remember, we're to live in the light of the knowledge of Christ coming back. All of a sudden, it kind of puts that into perspective. None of us are perfect. We're not going to live that life. But remember, He's putting into perspective what it means to live on alert. We should always be able to rejoice. Why? Because we know the end. We know the story. We know how it ends. Rejoice always. And then he goes on, pray without ceasing. I don't know if you guys have known anybody like this, but there was a guy at our a church we came from in Tulsa. His name was Jack. And when Jack would pray with you or over you, it was like he was just picking up the conversation where he left off, right? You know people who pray like that? And it was like, all of a sudden, whatever he was praying with you, he'd already started with God long before he got to you. He was like, oh, and God, and, and we want, and it was just like this conversation. And that's kind of how Jack lived his life. He was always rejoicing, and he seemed like he was always in communication with God. Because again, if we want to live in this light, if we want to live on alert, we have to have continue communion with God. Continue communion with the life source and the light source that's allow us to live this way. It says, and then in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Again, when you, when you put those statements in the light of living on alert, it, it really makes them way more simple to at least put into your mind, right? And to at least say, okay, I can be grateful today even though it's a terrible day. Why? Because I know that Jesus is coming back for me. I know that Jesus is under, has it under control. He keeps going. Verse 19. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances sounds complicated it's really not that complicated do not quench the spirit so again we as believers we have the holy spirit with us right and the holy spirit continues to push us and to lead us to live a gospel-centered life and then we have this flesh that continues to tear us the other way and what he's saying is don't live by the flesh don't live for these carnal lusts, these worldly lusts. He says, live by the spirit that I've put inside you. So again, we're always going to have this tear. But as we continue to put these things in place in our lives, as we continue to lift up the relationships we have with each other, continue to love each other, all of a sudden we learn more and more what it is to live by the spirit. So don't quench the spirit. 
Allow him to do in you what he wants to do. And quit fighting it. And he says, do not despise prophetic utterances. And essentially what he's saying is here is, don't despise the preaching of the word. When the word is preached to you, take that in. Now again, when he goes on, he's not saying, just believe whatever you hear from this place. He's actually saying just the opposite. He says, but examine everything carefully. I love it. Um, one, of the, one of our core values is scripture addicts. Scripture addicts. I'm going to tell you right now, if you are not a scripture addict, there's no way you're going to be able to measure what is said up here to be true or not. So if, if this is not something you're opening, if this is not something that you know, or if you have it on here, that's fine too. I don't think God cares. But he's saying it. You're addicts. I love that. Know the scripture. Why? Because when it's spoken, you know the truth. And you continue to dig deeper. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So again, Paul is saying, live in the light of the return of Jesus Christ. I'm going to go ahead and read the rest of it. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved, complete, without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I adjure you by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Do we live in the light of Jesus coming back? Do we live our lives? Do we make our decisions through that? Are we living on alert? And again, so he takes this idea. He's saying this isn't about living in fear of the day. Because trust me, nobody knows, so don't try to guess it. You shouldn't spend your time worrying about the day. What he says is spend your time preparing for the day. So that when it comes, you're like, yep, it's here. I can rejoice in it. And then he just breaks it down on what that looks like. And I think it's awesome because, again, he gives it to us. Right? He puts it in our hands. It's our duty as the local church to do this and to live this way. I got one thing to read before we pray. This is a pastor, Stephen J. Cole, wrote this. And I read it, and I was like, that's, that's exactly right. He said, I once worked at the Swanky Drake Hotel in Chicago. Years before I was there, in July of 1959, Queen Elizabeth was scheduled to visit Chicago. Elaborate preparations were made for a visit. The waterfront was readied for docking her ship. Litter baskets were painted, and a red carpet was ready to be rolled out for her to walk on. Many hotels were alerted to be ready. But when they contacted the Drake, the manager said, we are making no plans for the queen. Our rooms are always ready for royalty. What will Jesus see when he comes back? What will he see in our lives? If you knew that Jesus was coming in 10 days, would you be rushing around? 
would you be saying, I've been preparing for this day. I've been working towards this day. We at TSF, would that, is that what we would say? No, we've been working towards this day. We knew this day was coming all along. Don't live your life like you don't know how it ends is the point. Jesus said, you know the day is coming. Don't be surprised. Live in the light of the knowledge of the return of Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for... God, I thank you just for the opportunity to know the day is coming. God, that you've opened my eyes with your truth to know that that day is coming. God, that as we as a, a local expression of the body of Christ, God, would love each other to the place that when we take it out into the, to the world around us, they would know we're different. That we, they would know we are changed. That we don't look like them. That we are sober. That we are self-controlled. That we live in the light of the coming of Jesus. We pray that we would love each other in that light. Give us peace and grace, God, to live that way. And to love each other that way. To love you that way. I thank you for this morning. In your name we pray. Amen.